you've fallen down the rock and roll rabbit hole. All right. Welcome back to episode two, season two. Season two of Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole. I'm Kevin Gibson. And I'm Butch Bays. And we're back and we're happy to be back. And tonight we've got another uh, great song we're going to dive into. Uh, and tell us a song, Butch. Where we're sticking in our wheelhouse, the 80s. The 80s, yeah. And this is one of the songs a of the 80s. A classic. A classic. That we will never scrub brush out of our brains. We can never SOS pad it off of our... Ever. You know, yeah, ever. And it's, uh, yeah. come on, Eileen. Not of Lysol <laughs> in the world. By Dexie's Midnight Runners. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So a classic hit that had a classic video. We'll talk about that and what it all meant to us and what it still means to us. Uh, then we'll get into kind of the background of of Kevin Rowland and his vision. And, you know, I, I'm looking forward to talking about this, the video and talking about the, the band and the background. And there's a rich history that most people don't know about. I know it was like a scratching the surface here. Like, yeah. I didn't know any most of this people crap. Just, right, just They just know... The video and the song, and that's it. It's a deep well. It it's is a deep, a deep well, <laughs> and we're going to fall into it like it's almost like a rabbit hole. And we'll mention it's, it's a lot like a rabbit hole. Oh and we're going to we're going to kind of take on where it ranks as a one hit wonder as well. So, but first, we've got important business. <laughs> the opening ceremonies. Oh. We have a we have a double. We're gonna we're gonna have a, a sidecar tonight. Doing so side we're car. doing a, a fall city. Uh, English style pale ale as our beer. Yeah, which if you're, if you're that pairs nicely with this British uh, single. Yeah, and so, but also, I purchased a store pick bottle of Limestone Branch Distillery, which I visited eight years ago before they had any bourbon products. So this is a rye. It's a store pick rye. So what's a um, store pick for the store uninitiated? Store pick is the, 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 the store, local store that I go to a lot. Went there and tasted barrels and, and picked this. We want this one. We're going to bottle it with you. And so this is marked with their with their logo. So you can only get this at their store. Very So fun. this is in my Very neighborhood. Fun. I picked this up for cheap. Uh, it's I tasted it. It's amazing. It's a rye whiskey. Uh, it's a... Uh, 107 proof. No, no, no. 94 proof. Sorry, sorry. Okay, good. I wrong. I was getting nervous. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, it's... So I, I interviewed... So the master distiller is Stephen Beam. I interviewed him eight years ago. I just actually posted uh, the, the interview again on my blog, uh, com. Go check it out, please. But Stephen is a really cool guy. I went there. He sat down with me at the grounds of the distillery. I got to taste... The first ever white dog they had in a barrel. So it was like way before this was made. This is a four-year, I believe. Um, And so he was nice enough to sit down and spend some time with me. And he gave me a bottle of his moonshine, and he signed it. So I still have that bottle. It's about half gone now, but it's a a jalapeno moonshine. So the Beam name, big in Kentucky, big in bourbon. So the Beam and Dant families were very, very tight. And that's where the Beam brand, Jim Beam, which is the top-selling bourbon in the world. Right. Uh, and so this guy, has he's a great-great-grandson, and he has started his own distillery. And so we've got some product here, and we're going to have a little bit of this while we talk tonight. Not sponsored. We used our own we American dollars. Sponsored. I yeah. bought this with my American dollars, and the Falls City came from Butch's American <laughs> dollars because we work hard for the money. 
<laughs> we work hard for it. Hey, another 80s reference. Honey. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Keeping with the theme. Also, this kind of pairs well with our topic tonight. A rye whiskey goes with the album title, Two Rye A. That's right. <laughs> nice to nicely done. Yeah. Ooh, that's beautiful. All right. Oh, that. that wow. Yeah. So I will put links to. Wow. I'll put links to both of these places uh, oh, in, know, in the show notes. And in fact, I'll, I'll go ahead and link my story in the show notes as well. So if you want to read about it, that was a wonderful can, choice. I gotta say, <laughs> I, and I'm I'm getting to the point where I know more whiskey. All right, now to the meat of the program, the tale of the tape. Let's do it. Oh wait, I forgot. <laughs> I'm so excited about the whiskey. I forgot yeah, to go. All right, come on, Eileen is a song by English group Dexy's Midnight Runners, credited to Dexy's Midnight Runners and the Emerald Express. Oddly enough, uh, it was released in the United Kingdom in June of 1982 as a single from their album, Two Rye A. It reached number one in the United States and was their second number one hit in the UK, believe it or not, yeah. uh, following their 1980s hit, Gino. Or, yeah, and then the song was initially claimed to be written by Kevin Rowland, Jim Patterson, and Billy Adams, but it's more complex than that, I believe. Mm-hmm. Come on, Eileen won Best British Single at the 1983 Brit Awards, and in 2015, the song was voted by the British public as the nation's sixth favorite 1980s number one for a poll on ITV, which is bullcrap. <laughs> Obviously the favorite. It was ranked number 18 on VH1's 100 Greatest Songs of the it 80s. bullcrap. Bullcrap. You heard it here first. <laughs> and was named as Britain's best-selling single of 1982. It went number one in Australia, down under, Belgium, Ireland, of course. Did it have to yeah. go number one there? New Zealand, makes sense. South Africa, Switzerland, the UK, and good old USA. And in the Canada, only number two. Of course. What is wrong with the Canada? And the tune knocked Michael Jackson's Billie Jean out of the number one spot. Which Perhaps is crazy. The, uh, that's the biggest accomplishment yeah. of this single ever. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's real. It probably was at the end of its run, but still. Yeah. yeah. And, we can, and we'll, we'll circle back to that as we get into this, because I think that there's significance in that. Yeah, so there's the tale of the tape. Quite a titan of the 80s, a, a, a song that, I, you know, I have to say, I, I really like this song. Yeah, I, and I, 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 I was just really getting into the music you know, thing when it, at age 16, 17, and was, you know, I had, I had not been into the contemporary music that much. Right. Um, and I just really, it hit me when in my teenage years, because I was always listening to the Beatles and stuff until that point. Right. And I remember, you know, our friend Harold, we, he and I would watch... MTV and night tracks and all this stuff endlessly, and this, yeah. this we we loved this video. We just were so entertained by it. It was a happy, feel good, you know, make you want to break out some overalls and uh, dance right. on the street and corner. <laughs> which, well, Kevin Rowland wrote it about a girl he dated when he was thirteen, and they they stayed together for a couple of years, and you know, is is sort of about his quest to get her to have sex with him and and it finally he finally won her over so it explores that line between love and lust but i was reading that it, uh, american songwriter magazine put it beautifully it said it articulates the youthful urge for separation from an older generation hoping to indoctrinate these youngsters into their t- tired society <laughs> whoa and so it cited these lyrics and you'll know these lyrics if you know this song these people around here 
where beaten down eyes, sunken, smoke-dried faces, so resigned to what their fate is. And then he promises Eileen in the song, not us, we are far too young and clever. What a great line, we are far too young and clever. And that's one of the great positive things about the song. Man, I got cold chills. (laughs) I got hot chills. I must be impressionable, but... Uh, I've heard it compared to Born to Run, like a British version of Born to Run. Like we're going to break out of this yeah. kind of, you know, yeah. kind of um, you Total, know, sad that's a great comparison that yeah. we're born into. Yeah. Pretty interesting. But great I, comparison. So in the video, we'll, we'll, we're going to be talking a lot about the video this evening, I believe, because it's just part and parcel of this whole phenomenon. But the, uh, the real Eileen is pictured and the real Kevin Rowland as a young man is pictured and and there's one picture where he's holding her up they're probably like what 10 years old nine or something and he's he's holding up eileen it's the cutest darn thing very innocent young love and i think in a way although these lyrics do tend towards you know kind of um they they can get a bit risque at times Seeing that in the video kind of kept you on a light side, on a young, innocent side of this yeah. tale. Yeah, I agree. Now, there is <clears throat> there is also the, and this is the, the thing I wanted to bring up that I almost hesitate to, but. Okay. So, we'll have as, a, as, a, as a writer, and I'm just going to go here once and then we'll move on. Okay. But as a writer, you know, this that, that sort of innocence, you still have the lusty part of the song. Right. And so the song title is Come On Eileen, and there is no comma after on. So that would sort of create a but you know, Dexy's, more pornographic. Dexys tends to not use uh, any, any uh, apostrophes, commas. Well, they don't, use, they don't use apostrophes in Dexys because it's, it's not a possessive. It is about a, a drug. <laughs> Dexedrine, yeah, Dexedrine, whatever, Dexedrine. yeah, I don't know. That was but, a that was a pill favored by the uh, what it was the the uh, Northern Soul Movement youths yeah, of, yeah, of yeah, England, yeah, yeah. and I believe also the mods. You know the the uh, British mods like the Who uh, was part of that movement. They had they had all those like kind of scooters with all the mirrors, and yeah. they were, they were kind of dressed real nice. We've lived our whole life thinking Dexys was probably apostrophed and and right, possessive, but right? <laughs> but so I'm, I'm just saying, there's an argument to be made that that was a double entendre. Could be, and that's where I'll leave it. I'll leave it to the listeners to decide. I've I've chosen my whole life not to think of it that way. Okay, I just <laughs> wanted to bring it up. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, by the way, yeah. The, you you mentioned that Eileen's in the video in that picture and yeah, that, that so short clip. Cute. Yeah, but the the girl who played Eileen in the video, the, the grown up the actor, yeah, is um Meyer Faye, the sister to Shabon Faye. He was in Bananarama. So what's her name? The girl in the video, uh, Meyer Faye. Oh, Meyer Faye, and and she was the sister to one of the girls in the Bananarama, which you know our friend Harold loves Bananarama. That's that. Cruel Summer song. Well, you know, it's so. not a bad song. Bananarama. It's, so, nah, it's a bad song. But they're so visually interesting, right, as a band. I think they made it a lot on their kind of like, kind of carefree looks and fun looks. And that goes back to what we're going to talk about with the video, is that, you know, this, I mean, if, if you don't want to get there now, that's fine. But oh, No, 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 we can. You know, it's like, to me, part of what makes it 
a hit okay. is what we talked about. The video. Yes. And there were, you know, very we, much we've so. talked about many songs on, on, on this show. Yes. That owe to the video, you know. Yes, we have. Van Halen's Jump. We, we are the. Stacey's M- Mom. We're the MTV generation. Yeah. We can't unbake that from the cake, right? Exactly. It's just part of it. It's, yeah. it's like yeast. <laughs> right. But <laughs> what, what I think is important and that I didn't realize at the time was you've got these people that come out, you know, you've got. Think about early MTV. It's slick. It's flock of seagulls. It's Hall and Oates, spandau ballet, spandau ballet. All the hairdos and the slick suits and the you know and the cool and the the keyboards and the synthesizers. And suddenly you've got these. They look like street urchins out of a Dickens novel, <laughs> right? With fiddles and all this crazy stuff that you've never heard if you're 16 years old. You know, you've never been to an Irish pub, <laughs> no, you know, no. and you're hearing this Irish pub music with this incredible hook and you're watching these people, you know? And so I remember I, I, I wrote down a, a memory that I had when I was, I was working at Ponderosa Steakhouse as a teenager. Right. I had a, a great friend named Todd Swearingen. Rest in peace, Todd. He died a few, three or four years ago. Yeah, I could. Yeah. Um, but he and I always talked about music. He was very tuned in. He was two years older than me and was a lot smarter than me. <laughs> he was the first person that that ever played me uh, Abbey Road. Oh, by the Beatles. He did you a solid. He there. did me a solid. Yeah. But anyway, so I would go to work and we work together, and I'd say, "What do you think of this song?" He'd go, "Oh yeah." And I remember I said, <laughs> "I said, what do you think of the Greg Kinn band?" Right. And he said, he looked at me and he said, "Our love's in jeopardy, baby." And I said, "What do you think?" He said, "It's garbage." Oh wow. <laughs> But he could, but he could sing it. So, but yeah. but so I I mentioned That's this so video funny. to him. I said, "What do you think of yeah. Dexys Bennett Runners?" He said, "He said they're scumbags." Whoa! <laughs> he said they're scumbags. What's that about? What did he mean? <laughs> that was just Todd. Oh, it's so. But it's just a, such a memory with this song and video. He was handy with a pithy quote. <laughs> I was I was just so <laughs> defeated. I was just like. Dang it, I can't find a single song that he likes that I like. They're scumbags. They're scumbags. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so man. You saw that that sort of homeless vibe. Like yeah. you're, we're wearing our overalls with with no shirt because we can't afford a shirt or they, shoes. Yeah, they did look like Irish hobos. They did. Yeah. Irish hobos. Like adorable, next band name. Ador- yeah, adorable right. Irish they hobos. Were, yeah, there's one, there's one of the guys in the band who... He's like snapping really hard as they're walking toward the end of the song. Right. And, and I just always thought that guy was like, he was just so invested in it. Right. You know, and if you I watch the, the video, drummer. I watched, yeah. yeah, I watched, I think, yeah, I think it is a drummer. Yeah. And I watched the video. I was like, that guy just made the video for me. I think Harold and I used to laugh about that all the time. Like, it Look had at this guy. a spirit. Yeah. Uh, Kevin were, Rowland didn't appear to be goofing around. Yeah. He was delivering the goods. He felt it. I mean, if it's a true story about him and Eileen, I mean, it was from his heart, I believe. And I feel like that sells a song. For something to go number one, you got to hit a lot of, you got to hit a lot of chords correctly, right? You know, not not physical chords, but you know what I'm saying? They were painstaking about making that song. It it went through three three incarnations, right? So it started out as Yes, Let's. Yeah, was a name, uh, an early incarnation of that song, which they played on stage apparently and everything. And then it became, what was it, James Van and Me? Or did you ever get that other title? I don't think that I saw that. It had to one. do with like James Brown, 
Van Morrison and Kevin, you know, like sort of it was a, yeah. uh, you know, an homage to his influences. Yeah. Now, Johnny Ray, poor old, right, of course. Poor old poor Johnny, Johnny Ray, Ray which is, yeah. he's, he's the only survivor from all three, I think all three incarnations, especially the uh, James Van and me version. I think I love the way he starts out with with Johnny Ray. So he sets a scene for their parents, you know, like yeah. when when Johnny Ray ruled the airwaves, which he was kind of a crooner, piano so player. Sat upon the radio. Yeah. yeah, pre pre rock and roll, and and what he he broke a million hearts in mono. Did you see that line or it's something like that? Yeah, he, that yeah. is that is art. Yeah, right. Yeah. But anyway, amazing so, lyric. Yeah. <laughs> so good. But then he goes to Eileen, describes Eileen a bit. Then he goes back, we can dance like our fathers, which I thought was a nice tie-in to the our mothers yeah. uh, sing along with Johnny Ray. Now, how what percentage of the lyrics of this song would you say you knew before having to like look them up researching for this? 10%. I'm going to say 10%. <laughs> Ten percent is a yeah. Because his singing style is it does it's not easy to understand. But the, what it's sold wacky. it to us was the the catchphrases, right? The video and the melody and the, yeah. the way that it was it differentiated from everything else we were seeing. Because you would right. see again, you would see Iran by Flock of Seagulls, and then this. Right. It's like, this sounds so different than any other thing I've seen today. Maybe so much more down to earth, organic instruments, organic, right? Acoustic. Feel, and and something tying back to maybe a simpler time before the the bizarre MTV Thomas Dolby years. You know what I mean? Thomas Dolby, wow, well done. (laughs) Maybe something that that tied to a tradition of music that is old as time, right? So I think that felt maybe like a little touchstone for us that we could you know cling to a little bit. Maybe that's overstating it. So I've got in my notes here that this song is in some way a tale of two Kevins. So do you have anything on that? <laughs> well, there was a guy named Kevin Gibson. <laughs> no, not Kevin who's Gibson. Who's a saxophone player in the band. Kevin Archer. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that was a guitar player. Was there really a Kevin? There was a Kevin Gibson who was briefly in the band. All right. So I should, of course, my name. Yeah. I should have in my notes a tale of three Kevins. Yeah, a tale of three Kevins, yeah. <laughs> And now four with you on the uh, on right, the uh, right, yeah. yeah analyzing it, but four sorry yeah, Kevin yeah. Archer was Arch. in the original <laughs> was in the original Dexys Midnight Runners and he uh, split off after their first album and after their number one with the the song Gino mm-hmm. and he made a demo tape for his new band the Blue Ox Babes. Yep. Did you hear anything about oh, this? Oh yeah, I read all about that. So he plays the song What does everybody or what does anybody ever think about to Roland? You want to take this uh, subject matter there? Well, it's basically he also gave him a demo tape. Gave him he asked for the demo tape after yep. he played it for him. And then he basically stole the intro. <laughs> he stole <laughs> he stole the style. He kind of stole the whole style of the yeah. song. Maybe yep. not the exact Melody, or but it's like you stole all the, the idea. Boxes. The idea it has the build, yeah, you know, all the stuff. Yep. And this is, gets me to the point that I wanted to make about all right. about <laughs> Kevin Roll was not a nice person. Apparently, didn't seem to be. <laughs> so I, I grabbed some quotes and some things. Okay, good, um, good. So. There, there, there were times when when Roland would not talk to the media, which is harkens to the knack. You know, and so the media yeah. didn't like him that much. They boycotted the media. Yeah. Yeah. And so they were like, and so, but Archer, 
said that in Mojo Magazine in 2009, uh, he said that Roland ruled the group with an iron, a rod of iron. <laughs> he would not speak to any of us personally. Oh, man. I mean, how are you in a band with that guy? That's it's almost rough. as bad as being in a band with me. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> so he was. He said he was irritable, treating everyone like they were nobody. Wow. And so when and, I heard that Archer, go when Archer finally quit, <laughs> yeah, Roland convinced him to teach the new guitar player the chords of the songs, and he did it, and he did it. I mean, I, why? Kevin Roland is like sort of a, a Manson esque kind of figure. I think like he he has some charisma with these people because I've heard that everybody that's left that band still wants to play with that band. You know, somehow. And that's Have a great point. That? Uh, and because I think that that. You know, well, he insisted that this style, this this overalls and this this street urchin look, he insisted it was original. It was not a, a gimmick, right? And so, um, Dave Rimmer of Smash Hits in '82 asked him about it, about is it a gimmick or whatever. And, and Kevin Rowland like barked at him and said, "I take deadly serious what I do. It's very important to me to be an individual. I don't care if people laugh." That's what Dexy's Been at Runners is all about. Showing your feelings and not giving a damn what other people think. I love it. That's man. what he said. Stick to your guns. But the the rollover of the band was was I mean, almost year by year. By the this time this guy fires yeah. more people than George Steinbrenner. He's I mean <laughs> He said he liked to start all over. He loved the challenge of just like breaking it all down. And he but he had also he would use you and then just and move on. Discarded. No more use for you at all. Yeah. But he changed crazy? the style of the band for every, like, the, the, the dress. Like, you know, yeah. the of course, the 2 A era is the, is the you know, the overalls era. And then, like, before that, though, they were wearing, like, dock workers. Yeah. <laughs> stuff, you know, there, during that first yep. uh, Searching for the, the uh, Young Soul Rebels album, they were wearing, like, dock worker clothes. And, but that guy's a fashionista. Now he wears berets. He looks like a French... You know, like Salvador yeah. Dali type artist guy now. Yep. But I think he's he's equally a monster and a driven kind of genius. What and that's why people would want to play with him. That's exactly why people would want to play with him. You know, um, he he I mean he was not loved by his bandmates, <laughs> but he could always find new bandmates. Well, I guess that's you know what I mean. It's like it's like somebody who gets fired from job after job, but there's some sort of charm there. That keeps them getting jobs to get fired from. Must be. Except he was the one doing the firing. He just must have the it factor. I'm sure he's really hard to be around. Like, that's the one thing you can gather from all this, that he was a hard guy to deal with. But, uh, you know, he's he's still still on tour. Like, still making music. I have a, you know. a great quote from okay, Vice. Um, <laughs> and the, art, the, the writer was named Kristen uh, Yonsoo Kim. Okay. And she she wrote a great, great piece about about the band and she she said despite the chummy appearance and jolly pop hooks, Kevin Rowan and his bandmates were actually pretty badass and I'm not gonna say the F word, I'm gonna change the F word. Sure. And gave Nary a flick about anything. <laughs> to be fair though, you kind of can't give a flick when you're grown ass men running around in dungarees. Well, nice. <laughs> what a beautiful piece of writing i, I want to find more of her work pretty darn good yeah. 
you know, speaking of the turnover of the band, I've got a thing here where it says that the horn section quit at one point because they didn't want to play second fiddle to the fiddles. Fiddles, yeah. (laughs) I saw that. (laughs) So I think one thing we've figured out by researching this, and I and I never knew how far down the rabbit hole we were going to go with Dexy's Midnight Runners. It it was just insane twists and turns. But one thing we definitely figured out is that um, they they are a one hit wonder in the United States, but they're not seen that way in in Britain at all. No, because they had a, a number one hit in Britain before they were, and a career there and a full career. Yep, kind of like Aha. <laughs> Much like Aha uh-huh. has talked about as one of the best one-hit wonders, and they've had a long career. Well, that kind of brings up the next kind of point here, which is the greatest one-hit wonders of all time. Now, this song Ever. obviously ranks in that list. In right? most, yeah, to mo- in most minds, it does. What's interesting to me is like if someone just walked up to you on the street and said, "What are the ten best one-hit wonders of all time?" Go. Would you think of this one? I think I would think of this one. I'm not sure, though. Like, I'm really bad under pressure like that. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, I feel like that it would at least make my top 20 if I had to sit down. Really? really without any research. Yeah. It might crack my top 10 just for the uniqueness of it. Well, does something, like, rise in your mind to number one, like, like almost instantly? So here's here's my point about this. Okay. It's all subjective, and I've and I've got a little bit of just amateur research to back this up, but it's all subjective. You know, to me, like some people will say, "Want my Sharona?" You know, which you know, I love the knack. Everyone who listens to this show knows that. Yep. Some people say, "My Sharona," is, fantastic is that. song. Yeah. But guess what? They had other top forty hits. Right. So it wasn't a one hit wonder. Not unlike the Romantics, which have, Correct. have that's what I like they about not, you. They had two. They came back with Talking in Your Sleep. They had right two now. top 40 hits, and one of them, and, and neither one of them was What I Like About You. Oh, well, that, there you that, go. That's yeah. 43, I think. <laughs> and so, so it's, this is, though, it, it is, is the only top 40 hit Dexas Ben Runners had in America. Correct. To me, that's got to be sort of part of the equation. So you've got to enter it into the conversation. We have this gotcha. brief snapshot of that band. We got one peek at them. Yep. That video. Much like that Tommy Tuto. Oh, much yeah, like well, Tommy I know Tuto. you love that song, Jenny. Yeah. You yes. would put that in your top five probably. Well, yeah, 8675309, like try to get that out of your head. I'm that's not sure that I would. Great, you know, right. and so that's what I'm saying. Oh, is I certainly it's would. so subjective, but it's it's to me it's open for a debate and like if someone puts this as their one number one one hit wonder ever, I'm cool with that. Right. Because of what we've talked about here, the the history, the story, you know, the 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 way it evolved, and the I mean, I'm 100 percent okay with that. Right. So it was it was accomplished. It was unique. You know, well delivered. Time. Sure. Well delivered. The video is great. That's a big part of it. Captivating. You know, we talked about this when we when we did Van Halen's Jump. Was that the best Van Halen song? No, no, no. <laughs> That's three. You knows. know what I mean? Yeah. But it, but it was it, it had a package around it that worked. They had the popularity. They had the, you know this was this was a different sort of thing, but it it still had that sort same sort of panache. This was sort of package. a wonderful marketing plan if you want to break it down into like a cold business sense. Yeah. You want to uh, go ahead and read the, the Rolling Stone okay, top 10 yeah. of all time? Rolling Stone published 
their top 10 one-hit wonders of all time, which is just good fodder for us kind of like riffing off whether we think this kind of seems, you know, legitimate. I mean, Rolling Stone obviously takes these things fairly, fairly serious, and, uh, and uh, their top uh, one-hit wonders of all time are number 10, The Vapors, Turning Japanese, which was a great song. Yeah. Uh, question That's an mark. interesting song. <laughs> yeah. Is it a great is it really a great song? No. No. <laughs> it's a gimmick song. It's a gimmick song. Right. Question mark and the Mysterians, 96 Tears. Pretty good song. Pretty good song. Pretty good song. Uh, Chumbawamba, Tub Thumping, number eight. Hate that song. I get knocked down. I get up again. But yeah. it's catchy as heck. Very catchy. I, I, I don't like it at all. Never did. Very catchy. But I would never put it in, in inside my top five million. Right. It kind of has that sort of cadence of like a almost like a cheer or a chant. Yeah. Which makes me wonder why. Uh, Gang vocals. Hey, Ricky, and, you're so fine isn't on this list. I don't yeah, know. That's Mickey. A, yeah. Mickey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's probably why. <laughs> Number <laughs> seven, Blind Melon, lead singer out of Indiana. Uh, no Rain. Yeah. That had the beat, the little B girl in the video. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good song, you know? Kind of but a. It just seems. It doesn't seem right for this list. It doesn't. Me. It's almost richer than a one hit. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Isn't that funny? It's, it deserves yeah. to be on a, a different list, a better yeah. list. Number six, The Knack, My Sharona, My Sharona. which we I mean, think again, might yeah, be erroneously titled as a one hit. Right. But, if, but if it was. It was so big that that's why people think of it that way because yeah. the other their other knack hits were not nearly as big. They just outpaced their other songs so they badly. never lived up to that first single, you know. So oh boy, what a single! Number five, "Soft Cell," "Tainted Love," good song, fits the category nicely, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's ubiquitous. It's it's always around still. Yeah, and and yeah, it's become like. You hear it all the time. One of those songs I call top 40 for the whole 80s. You know, yeah. kind of that kind of song. Uh, big country in a big country. See, to me, yeah. to me, the, when, when's the last time you heard that anywhere? Played uh, anywhere? I did, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not See, feeling I'm, that. I'm against that. I, I, I don't. Yeah. I, when I saw that, I was like, what are they thinking about? Uh, yeah, I have no idea. I can idea. think of 50 other songs that, you know. <laughs> right. Number three, Norman Greenbaum. Uh, famously is now a chicken farmer, I believe. And, uh, and the, the song I like chicken. Uh, the song "Spirit in the like Sky," frog legs. which a pretty big song. "Spirit in the Sky." What, what was this? What? So it tastes like frog legs. <laughs> that is gold. You just turned it on its head. Uh, "Spirit in the Sky," you know, pretty good one hit wonder. Good, I mean, that, yeah. that still gets played. I still hear that. Sometimes. Oh, totally. It's you know, kind so. of always going to be around. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it deserves mention for sure. Is it number three? I wouldn't put it there. Yeah. Again, it's subjective. Right. Now, here's where the list gets controversial. Yeah. Number two. I'm angry just looking at it. Dexy's Midnight Runners, <laughs> Come On Eileen, which I'm going to say should be number one. Wow. Because in America, it fits every. Thing. You can't argue they had another hit in America or even another song in America, right? Right. You can't Their argue. Their follow-up single would think hit like 80-something. Did it? 84, I oh, think. Oh, so yeah. it, was, it was hovering around somewhere. But can't deny everyone in, in, and their mom can sing the chorus of this song, right? Yeah. It's just such a huge smash hit. So anyway, and... Uh, uh, Rolling Stone gives the nod to Aha with Take On Me. 
as number one, which I don't know. I'm not feeling that either. See, so. to me, it has the same thing. It was they had a huge, a huge following in in Europe, and they only had that one song in America that super, was ever a hit. Super well done video. But who doesn't know that video and that song though? True. Who can't sing that? It's almost the same thing. True. Same interesting story that no one knows. We'll probably end up doing that on one of these shows one of these Certainly, days. Certainly, yeah. You know, so so it's really, again, it's subjective. Which one is more memorable? Which one is the better one? You know, you, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're probably thinking of both courses at the same time right now. Because <laughs> I am. <laughs> Apologies to uh, yeah, well, podcast you, once you Once you everywhere. sleep, you'll, you'll, you'll get out of your head. But Maybe. You know. But I feel like Dexie's Midnight Runners maybe is going to to last another millennia, you know? So, yeah. who knows? Fantastic song. All right, what do you got in terms so, of? Yeah. To follow up on that, American Songwriter Magazine sort of posted a little a little uh, article about this. Is it? They posed the question, is it the greatest one at Wonder ever? They yeah. did not answer the question. Ugh. They just posed the question Ugh. for the sake of, and, you know, and I, I get that. That's That's about shares. Uh, so That's Best true. Life Magazine posted their top 100 of all time. Uh, this was at 25. Oh, what? Oh. So a lot of a lot of hits from the 50s and 60s crawl into these bigger lists. Oh. See, Rolling Stones list is more, more tailored toward the modern audience, I think. Sure. Sure. Uh, VH1 posted their top 100. It was number three. Woo. So that's a pretty strong... A video-leaning channel. Video-leaning. Yeah. Very good point. Right, right, right. Uh, insider.com had their, had it 57. Or I'm sorry. They posted their 57 of all time. I don't know why 57. <laughs> but they did not number them. It's an odd thing to But it was it. in there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in there. And then Top 40 Weekly has it as their number 62 of all time of, of, of uh, 100 top 100 I just can't imagine the 61 songs that, that precede it but if I read them a lot I'd of them were older impressed. songs you know like like I said that a lot of the, some of these that's why it's subjective that's why I said that because that's what convinced me that there's no definitive answer right because different news outlets are are looking at it in different ways just like people who are listening to this this episode right now are going what are they talking about? How's that even in the conversation? You know, maybe. So, I mean, I, I would like to say, you know, the legitimate list for now is what's top, the top one hit wonder of all time for right now. Like, what what has survived maybe in movies? You know, uh, my daughter Olivia uh, knows this song from Perks of Being a Wallflower movie, um, and it's featured in a scene where. A kid that well, you know needs to come out of his shell, you know, only by that song being played at their prom can he, you know, kind of get out on the dance floor. And this is like reputed to be a huge dance floor filler everywhere, which I, I agree it probably is, you know. But I've enjoyed it all these years without really knowing the lyrics and just yeah. feeling the the sentiment of it and kind of like the you know the two ra lu ra two ra lu ra just feels so fun and so mm-hmm. you know happy simple and happy yeah I, I never really got into this what what subtext might be in this song just sort of like it felt like come on Eileen take my hand you yeah. know let's just 
let's let's run well, off you know well but there's think about it there's potential pornography in that. Well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I'm just I'm saying, man. Against. I'm just saying, man. <laughs> but the uh, my brain's different than yours. So, have we covered every aspect of this? Thing? I think have that we, we have. I mean, as far as we, we're going to get, there's more, but we, you know, we're we're up to forty minutes now, almost. So, it's, well, it's time to it's time to to start wrapping things up. By the way, I forgot to say that we are drinking our uh, rye whiskey out of the Fred Minnick Show. Uh, Glenn Karen glasses. So, right. uh, Fred, I, it's a good friend of mine. He gifted me these glasses. I told him that I wanted to use them for for purposes that would promote his show. And uh, if you know anything about whiskey at all, you know who Fred Minnick is. So, and these are great a great glass to taste. Glenn Karen uh, glasses glasses are great. Yeah, they're they're wonderful. And he that's his preferred glass. And he works with them, you know, on on all of his tasting uh, events. So good fellow all look up around. Glenn, look or look up uh, Fred Minnick. He's going to be going on tour uh, this this year doing blind tastings. You can buy a ticket and go and and taste uh, really really good whiskeys uh, and kind of kind of get his insight in in real time. He's an influential figure in our uh, area here uh, in. Uh Kentucky especially, and, yeah. and in the world, I yeah. suppose. And a great days. guy. I've known him for 15, yeah. 16 years. So he's Pretty cool. Really, really good, really good man. So where does this song stand in your heart after after it's, you know, however many years old it's, now? It's uh, just one that, that is uh, never – there are a lot of one-hit wonders that I forget about that I don't – that I, I hear them occasionally. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a hit, huh? But this is one that I like. It's so obvious why it was a hit because of the time. Again, it was it was it popped on MTV in a time when everything sounded the same. Everything was synthesized and you know produced the same way. And this was so organic, as you said. It had instruments we weren't used to hearing. Had production we weren't used to hearing. It was you know it was like listening to an Irish bar song an irish pub song it was kind of behind its time and ahead of its time yeah at the same time because later on you know you got like mellencamp coming out with lonesome jubilee and things like that where they started acoustic Which, instruments became a big thing later this yeah. probably influenced that i would i would very much say so i mean no offense to mellencamp i like him but he was never that original <laughs> i'm sorry he was to me he wasn't i mean i like i like mellencamp but those are fighting words, man. We're gonna I have know, to we're gonna I have know. to hash out. We're gonna do Jack and Diane at some point during this season, I believe. Now there is a, a lasting hit. Uh, that is a lasting hit, which we call you know the uh, "Sucking on a Chili Dog" song. Oh, well, there you Thanks go. Thanks to uh, Clownvis Clown Presley. Yeah. If look you have yeah. look up Clownvis Presley. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll put this in the show notes too. Be forewarned; it might disturb you. It's not for sensitive, uh, but in a good way. <laughs> but in a good way. But anyway, I'm you know I'm glad that this song existed. It really encapsulated a time when MTV ruled the earth, and it was a yeah, it was just a feel good. Song. If nothing else is nostalgic, but it's still a good song. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so we really appreciate you tuning in. Yes, thank you the- again, Italy. We appreciate you. <laughs> you're still you're still showing strong numbers. We we love that. Please uh, subscribe. Let's go on tour in Italy. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm ready for that. I think we had 17 <laughs> downloads uh, last month. Ain't bad. <laughs> but uh, please subscribe to the podcast and recommend it to a friend. Share it on your social medias. And we'll be back next week with 
maybe a guest from Japan. Yeah, maybe, maybe not next week. It might take two weeks, but we're gonna we've yeah. got a guest from Japan that we're gonna we're gonna Skype in, and we're hoping to talk about uh, Michael Nesmith. So yeah, one one of the monkeys. Um, uh, kind of um, also something that was more beneath the surface than you would at first suspect. And Kirk actually has had personal interaction with Michael, so that's that's why right. we're bringing him in because he's kind of a Michael Nesbitt expert. All right, yeah, absolutely. And, All right, guys, and a, cheers. And a great musician. All right, to Fred Bennett again to Dexy's Midnight Runners. No apostrophe. I'm out of whiskey, uh, but I'll well, still cheers you. Good enough. See you next time, everybody. He said they're scumbags. What's that about? What did he mean? <laughs> what, what was this? What? So it tastes like frog legs. <laughs> that is gold. You just turned it on its head.